This is the Casting Lots podcast, and you're listening to Unschooling Scholars. March 29th, 2023, and this is episode, I think, 12 of Unschooling Scholars. So thanks, everyone, for joining us tonight. Um, we've got a good show. I've got Livy here with me. Say hi, Liv. Hello. <laughs> and, and of course, we got Matt here because he's always so excited to come talk to everybody, right? Yay. <laughs> um, tonight, we're going to be talking about... Um, there's a museum by us. This is a small museum. It's a fire museum. It's called the um, Aurora Regional Fire Museum. And it's actually um, an old firehouse that they had. And for those that don't know, Aurora is the um, second largest city in Illinois, aside from Chicago. So um, there's a lot of history there. So we're going to be talking about that. And then uh, talking about fire, we're going to talk about the Great Chicago Fire, which um, there's a lot of controversy around that, so I'm excited. Are you excited, Liv? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, before we get started, I'm going to go ahead and just open this in a, a quick little prayer. So if you would, please just bow your heads. Uh, Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you for another beautiful day, Lord, um, for giving us the opportunity to come together and to um, just share all of your beauty and your blessings with those around us, Lord. Um, I pray that uh, whoever's meant to hear this message tonight, Lord, that they hear it loud and clear. Um, and whether it be tonight or later on down the line, Lord, um, just let them hear this message. Um, also, uh, I pray for all those who um, are not feeling well or who are struggling right now, Lord. Um, Matt and myself, we've got some kind of sickness going on. And we just pray that you you heal us quickly, Lord, so we can continue doing your work. Um and for Duncan, I know he's not feeling well either, Lord, so just help heal him as well. Um, be with us and guide us tonight. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So um, today, I know a lot of the kids in, in the public school system here are on spring break this week. So um, we don't really do breaks like everybody else. We don't do a Christmas break. We don't do, we did take a little time off during Christmas, um, but you know, we just, we, we're always learning every day, right? We're yes. always learning something new. And hello. You're saying hi to Papa. And to the person who said hello. Hi, Wade. He's saying hi there, Liv and Matt. <clears throat> hello. Um, so what were we doing yesterday? Remember with the machine that we had? 
the dehydrator. Dehydrating peas, green beans, and carrots. And corn. And, and it's corn. It, I wasn't really sure how it was going to work out because we tried doing uh, strawberries last, I don't know, it was a year or two ago, and they just came out as like mush, and I was like, oh, I don't know if it's the machine or I'm just not doing something right, but um, Catherine, if you're listening, thank you for kicking my butt in gear with that. And so we did, we went and got some frozen vegetables and we put them in there. And, um, I don't know if any of you have ever had the the cups of ramen, but they always have those little packages or sometimes they're just thrown in into the cup, those little vegetables. Um, and that's basically what the vegetables look like when you dehydrate them. So it was pretty interesting to watch it all kind of happen. Um, getting to learn to know the machine, like what set the temperature on and, um, I guess one of the problems that I had when I did these strawberries was that I cut them too thin, I think. Um, so we're going to try them again. But um, so what did you think of those lives? What do you think of those vegetables coming out like that? Very dry. Yeah, well, of course, that's what dehydrating is. What did you want to try? You you told me you wanted to try some candy. You saw a YouTube Airheads video. Airheads and Jolly Ranchers. And what do you do? Like, what, what do they do? The Jolly Ranchers, they puff up and their airheads become hard. Interesting. So will the airheads become like Jolly Ranchers, like hard candy like that? Or I don't know. Well, I guess that's going to be a science experiment. <laughs> Hopefully we don't break the machine. We will. <laughs> we probably will. Yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. But yeah, she, I guess, what did you see, a YouTube video of that? And she's been asking me to try it. So um, I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're going to try dehydrating. Um, some candy and see what happens that'll be a fun experiment um so yeah so today we went to um the aurora regional fire museum and we got um groupon always has really good um deals for those who are looking for things to do with the kids if you're in the illinois area or even if you know other states i'm sure you have the same thing but they always have like you save a certain amount i think this was like saving 60 percent off the the price of uh um a family um, yearly, what do you call that? Not a subscription, whatever that is. A pass, thank you, Livy. Um, <clears throat> and so we bought that and it's just really cute there. There was a lot of like old time, um, like fire trucks. And they had a old fire alarm, which is handheld. I guess they'd hang it on a wall. And then if you saw a fire, mm -hmm. You'd grab it and you twist this thing, and it made this really annoying noise. Yeah, it was. I remember like being younger, and we had these little um, for New Year's, you know, it was New Year's Eve, those little things you turn and they make a really loud, annoying noise. And that that was the old fire alarm for back in the day. And, um, you know, most of the houses during the, the colonial times are made out of wood, and even the sidewalks were made out of wood. And so that's why when they had the Chicago fire, um, it went up so quickly because everything was made out of wood. Um, and so how did they put out fires? Do you remember when we were there? They'd take a bucket. They'd have this little like pump thing. You pump the water in. Yeah, from the and, wells or and whatever. And then you pass it down from person to person to get to the bucket. And then you pass it down again and then do the same thing. Yeah, they said that each like building was supposed to have these buckets and they were made out of leather. 
and um, it was just like part of their, you know, whatever kind of building, they would have to have buckets at the ready in case there was a fire. And they would just make a big line of people and they would fill these buckets with water and pass them, you know, make like a, a little line. And that's how they would put out fires. And, you know, just imagine you've got this big wooden house and it's going up in flames and everybody's passing these buckets. Um, it's pretty interesting just to see how, you know, things evolved. Um, over the past like 150 years and there's a lot of memorabilia there um, like from the colonial America and um, just the different tools that they used and um, they had what they called salvage bags and it, firefighting methods were not very successful in colonial America. It was often more practical to save the contents of a building than the building itself. Large linen bags carried valuables such as silver plates, pewter candlesticks, documents, tools, and whatever else out of a burning building. Once outside, a fire company member would keep watch over the bags, furniture, and other rescued belongings to guard against looting. Fire companies frequently required new members to furnish fire buckets and salvage bags to be used for preserving our own and fellow citizens' houses, goods, and effects in case of a fire. Typically, these buckets and bags were marked with the member's name and fire affiliation. So um, they had one. It was Henry Miller from 1840. And just think about that. Like, they weren't even trying to save the house. They were more worried about the belongings. And now it's like, forget your belongings. Everybody just get out, you know. And you can see how, how times have changed since then. Um, but it was just really interesting. Um, and they got to, you know, there was a pump there. The kids were pumping as if they were pumping water out of there. Um, and that was, what was your favorite part of that museum? fire truck the fire trucks yeah we weren't allowed to go on them um but you could just kind of look at them and you know you could see some a lot of them were made out of wood and they had these tires and do you remember about the firehouse mm -hmm. oats firehouse oats firehouse oats these oats were found under the floorboards below the second floor hayloft mm -hmm. during the renovation, renovation of aurora's old central fire station in 1990 even even after then 100 years there are still the remains of the oats and hay to be found under the hayloft floorboard yeah that was from this firehouse it was an old firehouse um and when they were renovating it in 1990 they still were able to find um, remnants of oats and hay that were left there and they had them like in a little box so you could see them but it just shows like you know how long everything lasted um and then it just showed the evolution of these um the hoses and in the fire trucks and you know it was a really cool history if for those that are in illinois if you're listening definitely go check out um this museum it's cute it's just a two-story little museum it doesn't take very long to walk through but um me i'm a history buff i love history and also, um, they had showed that there were six firefighters um, from this location that were sent um, to 9-11. And there was a little blurb written from one of the kids that says, after five days, my dad and the others returned home very tired and mentally exhausted. My dad was thankful to be home with his family, but he said he could not stop thinking about what he saw. As my dad drove to his house in his town, there were welcome signs for him. He received many cards from adults, children, and businesses. Many of the cards said thanks and how proud everyone was of him for helping. So, yeah, they sent six firefighters from Aurora 
Illinois to um, 9-11 to kind of help out there. And um, it was in the newspaper and everything, but it was just, it was really cool. And they had a little kids play area. And, um, you know, if you have local museums like this, you know, just small little museums, it, it's really, it's great to just kind of see local history as well as, you know, like state history or, you know, even just um, learning about just history in general. Um, and here they've got passports, their passports to adventure. It's for Illinois, um, Kane County and DuPage counties. And they just list all the different museums and you can get a stamp for each one that you visit. And they just kind of tell you a little bit about um, some of the museums. Like one I want to take the kids to is called the Grand Army of the Republic Memorial. It's a historic GAR muse, uh, memorial museum that was built in 1877 to honor the men from Aurora who fought in the Civil War. Today, the museum recognizes the contributions of America's fighting men and women throughout the ages. It's newly renovated. So I think that would be a lot of fun to take the kids to. And, you know, um, I'm sure each state has, you know, little museums like this to take the kids to. And I know as a homeschooling mom, we're always looking for, for new ways to teach the kids and, you know, new places to go on field trips to. So definitely check out your local museums because there's so much to be learned and there's so much to do. And, um, you know, it, it helps to, to keep these little museums up, all the history that we have. And um, it's just a really great, great way to learn, right? The history. Yeah. All right. So that leads us into um, our topic of tonight, which is the Great Chicago Fire. Now, there's a lot of controversy um, with the Chicago Fire. And I don't know if any of you ever heard of Mrs. O'Leary, supposedly. Um, her cow kicked over a lantern of kerosene and it was supposed to have started the big fire um, in Chicago. And that was in 18, what year was that? It was October 9th, 1871. And when I was younger, I lived in Chicago and we learned all about Mrs. O'Leary and her cow. Um, so Mrs. O'Leary was an Irish immigrant and she had lived in Chicago with um, her family and um she had five kids that sounds familiar hold it <laughs> um but supposedly the story goes the big chicago fire was started from her cow kicking over the lantern one night so um i'm going to read a little bit about this it's the o'leary legend it says late one night when we were all in bed mrs o'leary lit a lantern in the shed her cow kicked it over then winked her eye and said there will be a hot time in the old time old town tonight um, and that's a popular song lyric. I don't know if any of you had ever heard that song. But it says, did Mrs. O'Leary's cow really start the Great Chicago Fire? And it says, it's possible. The conflagration almost surely began in the vicinity of the crowded barn, where Kate O'Leary kept the five cows she milked twice a day in order to help support the five O'Leary children. She also owned a horse that pulled the wagon as well as a calf. She and her husband, Patrick, had just laid up plenty of coal, wood shavings, and hay for the winter and to feed the flames when the barn took fire. There was a rumor that Kate admitted to different people right after the blaze that, she, that began that she was in the barn when one of her cows kicked over the lantern. A few curiosity seekers claimed to find the broken pieces of such a lantern while snooping behind her cottage, whose escape from destruction was one of the ironies of a disaster. But there are plenty of reasons to think that Mrs. O'Leary and her benighted cow named Daisy and Gwendolyn and Madeline and assorted retellings were in innocent. 
Kate O'Leary offered sworn testimony that she was in bed when the fire started, and the official inquiry concluded that it found no proof of her guilt. Those who heard her confess present conflicting versions of why she said she was in the barn. A person who years later claimed that as a boy he had found the broken lamp under some floorboards and took it home never explained how. The barn had floorboards. They made it through the inferno. As for the lamp itself, he said he couldn't produce it because an Irish servant, as part of a cover-up, borrowed it and then disappeared. The Chicago History Museum has in its collection a few cowbells that were supposedly discovered on the side of the barn after the fire. And it says on top of this, on the 40th anniversary of the Great Conflagration, a reporter named Michael Ahern, who was working for the Chicago Republican at the time of the fire, boasted in the Tribune that he and now two deceased cronies made the whole thing up. The O'Leary's, he reminded readers, lived in the rear part of the cottage, renting the front of the family named McLaughlin, who were hosting a party that evening. O'Hearn opened that one of the revelers went out to get milk and ended up burning Chicago down. To make the mystery murkier, the invention of the cow story has also been attributed to others, and after Ahern's revelation appeared, a longtime colleague stated that he had ghostwritten the Tribune story under Ahern's byline. As for Ahern himself, the other reporter confided the booze got him many years ago, and he has not been able to do any newspaper work. So, you know, there's been a lot of other theories that, you know, what could have happened, but um, nobody really knows for sure. Mr. Khan, who laid claim to it. No, go ahead. Get out of here with your sickness. So there was a man named Louis Khan who was a, who did not, he took credit for it in his will when he was passing. And he pretty much said that they were playing, they were gambling. In the in the barn, him and the O'Leary boys, and one of the boys got too excited and knocked over one of the lanterns. Uh, he said he was only thing he was able to do was grab his money before he was able to leave. And that could have been part of that family, you know. Yeah, he said it was him and the O'Leary boys. There were five boys together. But yeah, he did take claim to it. There was somebody else too. I think Pegleg. What was his name? Pegleg. Peg something. Pegleg Steve or something. I can't remember what it was. But they said that he said that the mile that he ran was as long as a football field, and there's no way he could have ran that fast with his peg Pegleg. Right. Yeah. So there's you know just so many different conspiracies. Excuse me, and you know us, like we're all about conspiracies and, you know, all of that. Um, but even um, here at the museum, they had talked about it. And it says, while the start of the fire remains a mystery, the devastation of the Great Chicago Fire is widely known. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the evening of October 8th, the fire erupted, erupted in or around a small barn belonging to the O'Leary family. That bordered the alley behind 137 uh, De Street, leaving an area of around four miles long and one mile wide in ruins. The fire moved through the mainly wooden buildings of the city. When the fire was extinguished on October 10th, nearly one third of the city was destroyed, including the commercial downtown and most of the north side. 
The fire caused an estimated $200 million worth of damages and around 300 deaths and left 90,000 people homeless. And I guess in today's money, that would be like, what did they Yeah, $5.6 billion. Reconstruction began quickly and led to both population and economic growth. The majority of the city's infrastructure was intact after that fire and also allowed quick rebuilding. To better prevent a fire of this magnitude again, building codes were changed, requiring buildings to be built with fireproof materials such as stone or brick. The most popular fireproof material used was terracotta. The material even helped with the building of skyscrapers as the terracotta helped the iron frames of the building withstand high temperatures. Now, to me, that just sounds like, oh, you know, capitalism at its best, let's burn everything down so we can make sure that it looks pretty and, you know, I don't know. Chicago, if you've ever been downtown Chicago, you can see how tall those buildings are. And, you know, we were a major producer of iron at the time, you know, and so... um that kind of <clears throat> made jobs, you know, and made iron working more, um, you know, they needed that. So, um, again, nobody really knows how this could have happened. Um, it says, although Mrs. O'Leary and her cow have received much of the blame, O'Leary maintained that neither she nor her cow had anything to do with the fire. Um, the summer and fall had been drier than usual with only a quarter of the normal amount of rain between July and October. It must have been global warming. <laughs> Additionally, on the night of the fire, there were strong southwesterly winds that eventually helped fan the flames. And they don't call Chicago the Windy City for nothing. You know, wind is just crazy. Um, other factors included firemen that were exhausted from fighting another large blaze the night before, shortages of hoses, fault in the city's fire alarm system. William Brown, the night operator of the alarm system, saw the fire about 30 minutes before the watchman, but did not sound an alarm as he thought it was the fire from the previous night. What in the world? Um, so, yeah, Chicago immediate recover. And this is where it gets good. This is from 1871 to 74. In one political cartoon, 25 years after the fire in 1896, an artist depicted the rival political party as Mrs. O'Leary's mule kicking over a flaming lantern titled Anarchy. Party politics aside, cartoons like this address the terror that many wealthy Chicagoans felt after October 10, 1871. Pages from the Chicago Tribune, a newspaper for the educated elite, of course, stated a large headline the next day that the citizens in the fire's aftermath shot and hanged so-called incineraries and ruffians. Countless pamphlets, books, and newspapers echoed the violence and vigilante law that promoted more bloodshed than peace. Whether or not this was true, many literate Chicagoans likely believed it was based on literature. Furthermore, the fear likely propelled the city's rehabilitation organization, known as the Relief and Aid Society, to operate through private philanthropists, oh, like Bill Gates, from established companies rather than government administration. Although initially providing basic needs to all who asked for assistance, it eventually supported mechanics and the wealthy over those with no apparent value towards rebuilding the city. For the lower classes who had chose to stay or not to stay, the society assigned large-scale barracks and additional police and medical oversight in order to prevent disease or other such violent outbursts to their newly established order. The fire, although destructive, demolished many structures along downtowns to expand, creating room for taller buildings and gave more space to commercial and residential buildings. Many of Chicago's poor felt discriminated against by the new fire codes against wood building, as that was the only material that they could afford. 
Additionally, landlords began raising rent because of the housing shortage, and within the influx of people coming to rebuild the city, wages were also kept low. So, kind of sounds like today, right? They're destroying everything, and they want to enforce these 15-minute cities and have everybody live on top of one another in their buildings. And, you know, it's like you talk about history just being repetitive, and, you know, I love history, and I'm always researching things. But, you know, you look at something like this, and it's kind of like, that would make sense, you know. They that many poor were coming to Chicago. You had the Italians, you had the Irish, um, and they didn't want that, you know. And a lot of them were poor, and they were just trying to to make ends meet. I know my great grandfather came from Sweden uh, when he was fifteen. What year was that? Do you remember that he came here? Yeah, it was early nineteen hundreds. Um, but he came by himself with just a shirt on his back and he had to learn the language here and I know he joined the military, but you know, I think he was a painter, if I remember correctly. And, you know, he just did what he could do. But that was the you know, Chicago, everybody wanted to come to Chicago for what I don't know. Um, but they did. They they burned everything down so they could rebuild it with all their iron buildings and make it where they call it today gentrification. Um where people can't afford it. So they're kind of forced to live in slums and, and you know, all these other um, ghettos, I guess you can call them today. And, you know, nothing has really changed there. The elites, they live in these high rises and have all the money and the lower class citizens are just left to live in these slums, you know. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but, you know, you, you look at things like that and, you know, it's our history, our local history. And part of homeschooling it, it, you get to explore those kinds of things i'm not even sure that they they even teach about the chicago fire um in schools did you ever learn about that lives when you went to school no you never learned about that yeah i think they leave a lot of that out more so i think today it's more political and in pushing the agenda than it is actually learning history i mean i just think that's you know seeing all of our history yeah probably not like that no no, and it's really sad because there's so much history around us, you know, and we can learn. I mean, like, I didn't know that they had to carry water in these these um, leather buckets, you know. That was just really cool to see. And, um, you know, the research, it says the museum features a rich collection that chronicles the history of firefighting in the Aurora Fire Department from photographs and archival records to apparatus and uniforms. Materials are available to researchers by appointment. So, you know, you can go here just to, to do your own research and, and learn. You know, I know um, a lot of people think, oh, that's more for kids, but no, there's really just so much history there. And it's really cool because they turned in this, this old firehouse into a museum and we got to see the fire pole. Did you... You can try the old fire one. Yeah, which one? The one that the you turned? The old one that you The crank drank. one? Yeah, that was really, really annoying. You can annoy everyone around you. Yeah, kind of like you do? Yeah. <laughs> and of course they wanted to keep playing with that. But, um, yeah, so what are we going to be doing next, Liv? Where are we going next? Where's our next field trip? Ocean. To the ocean? Yeah, because we've got one right down the street, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's another place here. It's called Blackberry Farm, and it's a living history museum. Yeah. Um, it's like early pioneer life, and they show how they do the um, the wheel for, for making breads and, and things like that. And I think there's some pottery there. 
Um, they've got an old little train that kind of goes around the whole place and paddle boats and a, an old carousel and ponies, real ponies you can ride. Um, so you have taken these field trips, you know, you learn a lot of history while you're exploring, right? Where else do we want to go? Yeah, there's so many different places in the area and you don't even really know, you know, and, and being part of different co-ops now with the, the homeschoolers, um, they take a lot of different field trips and, you know, there's a DuPage County Historical Museum. Um, there's a railroad layout. I know um, Douglas was just talking about, I don't know if this is the one, um, the Historical Museum features a permanent exhibit on the history of DuPage County, a 50-year-old model railroad layout and interactive children's gallery hmm i don't know oh you sent it to my telegram okay thank you we're gonna have to check that out we went to where was it matt we went to wisconsin right and there was a, a museum there a railroad. Not in the middle of nowhere yeah and literally in the middle of nowhere and what what did she say the lady when we were in there they were redoing the uh the buildings um so they were shut down for all the all, during the off season, and that they were going to re, be reopening. I think in July, it was south of uh, uh where what is that that uh Baraboo. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think the main access road south. I think it's about twenty miles down. Like a sign fence about a railroad. Yeah, and that's another thing you like seeing the you know the the history of the railroads and um. You know, you think about it, that's how they carried a lot of things. You know, they didn't have, like we have now, the planes and, and the Amazon delivery services. And, um, to be fair, you know, back in the day, like it would take like over four to six weeks for delivery. Douglas said, Matt, go to Rick Nelson's museum. And it can't work? No, they're pretty slow. What is this, Livy? The Victorian Cottage Museum. What does that say? A, a visit to the Victorian Cottage Historian Park Museum allows you to experience life in the Victorian era. Built in 1882 by Nell Well Matson mm -hmm. as a rental, rental. rental property. The cottage has been been completely refurbished by the historical accuracy using fascinating, fascinating and unique period artifacts. artifacts. What is this? So it says, here's yeah. gadgets and garments, an alternative history of Victorian cottage. And the farm. Yeah, and then the McDonald farm, like old McDonald. Old McDonald. What's this one? McDonald farm is more than house home base for the controversial Conserver conservation conservation fountains. <coughs> Excuse me. Foundation. Foundation regard funds. Slow down. You're trying to read too regard, fast. Regional. Regional. Efforts. Efforts. Stop. It's an educational tool we use to teach the community about our mission. On the ground examples of rainwater harvesting. Oh, this looks like a good one. Permeable pavers, butterfly, and rain gardens. 
and rain barrels show people how to live in concert with nature. Oh, we can go see animals. Our Green Earth Harvest Program grows organic vegetables in an earth-friendly way to educate about nature, nutrition, and caring for the earth. That's what we need to do. Because we got to start getting our um, our seeds planted indoors. We're going to have to go. The old McDonald's barn? Oh, I don't think that's still there because it's in Chicago. It's probably a house or a business now. But there's a museum where you could see stuff from the barn. It got burnt down. How could it still be left? Uh, it's uh, the, the Chicago Fire Department or the Chicago Police Chief's building is uh, actually or where the grounds used to be. For the O'Leary's? Yeah. Huh? Oh. Does it talk about it? Um... Might as well have to try those two places there. And there's the Fabian Japanese Garden. That's where we had those pictures taken that one time, remember? The Chicago Fire Academy. The Chicago Fire Academy is where O'Leary's barn was? Yes, and it was built in 1956. Interesting. Okay. Still trains firefighters to this day. Apparently. Yeah, that is. How about that irony, right? Yes. So, Lives, what are we doing next for homeschooling? What kind of activities? Do you want to tell them about how you did the dissection of the, the human body? It wasn't human. It was this monkey thing. Well, talk about it. Um, they have... So it was a little plastic... Um, monk. It wasn't a monkey. He looked like a monkey because he didn't have a face. He was caveman. <laughs> yeah, he looked like ooh, a caveman. Ooh, ooh. Don't start. And then they had the rib cage along the heart, and then they had the spleen, the gallbladder, the stomach, the liver, the bladder, the Gosh. large intestine, and the small intestine. So what did, like, what was um, some of the things you learned? Remember, what was it, the gallbladder we couldn't find in the book? Yeah, you had to find it in the dictionary. Mm -hmm. And Cadence was disgusting. Cadence was? Yeah. They had the skull. You could open in his brain. And you could feel those little gooey pieces. <laughs> but you were dissecting it, though. So what did you learn about some of the parts of the body? The body back here. Well, what about it? I forgot. Really? Oh, well, I'm so glad you learned on that. Learn to. <laughs> Well, how can you tell them if you don't remember? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. We have your paper, though. Yeah. yeah. We had to do another science experiment. We're going to try the, um... What was it? What candies were they? Airhead and Jolly Rancher. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be a mess. What was that other, the elephant toothpaste? Yeah. What is that? It's you add stuff together. 
I never really guessed. And I okay, I don't know. You add some stuff together, and then when you add it all together, and you pour in the last ingredient, it just shoots up like foam, and it's apparently really hot. So you have to use gloves. Oh, oh. Elephant, uh, yeah, elephant toothpaste. I think it's called. Yeah. What is that? It's like the chemical reaction. I don't know what it's from. It's two chemicals. I don't know if you want to do what was the other one you put diet coke in diet coke and menthol chemicals and it shoots up like a rocket right someone did that in their car in their car <laughs> we are not doing that in a mom's car why would you do that in the car knowing what's going to happen they had a sunroof i'm pretty sure they're trying to do it at the sunroof oh my gosh no way but it got all over them I wonder why. I can't imagine why. What other experiments were there that you wanted to do? You and Caden were talking about we some make, of them. We make the, the peanut butter chocolate thing. Yeah, we got to make those. Yeah, that was from your reading book. Peanut butter. They're like, um, what are those? The, the, the butter cups. The Reese's peanut butter cups. It's like that, but they're a ball, right? Uh-huh. Do you remember what ingredients we needed? I don't remember. We needed what crackers do you use for scores? Graham, we graham crackers, mm -hmm. chocolate chips, peanut butter, butter, and brown sugar, I think. Okay. And then you mix it all together, and then you make recipes. Yeah. And then you'll probably eat them all in one day, just like the bread. Speaking of bread... We tried a new um, bread. Well, no, a new starter because we've got the big starter that we started a month ago, and then we also started a new one, and we're trying a different recipe for the um, sourdough. You're gonna say goodbye now. Okay. Well, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Goodness, she's done. She's like, I had enough of this. Um, but yeah, we tried a, a new recipe for the sourdough, and this one is taking like 84 hours to do. You have to let it rest overnight, and yeast got to rise, and then rest overnight, and rise again. And I'm just like, could you imagine having to wait like a whole day to eat your bread? Because it just has to keep rising, and you're supposed to keep churning it. And um, some of the recipes that I found, because I bought a couple of different uh, recipe books that have the sourdough recipes and some of them you just use yeast so they don't take as long um, but this one we're doing with no yeast just the, the yeast from um, the starter and it's just it's pretty cool though to watch it just the way that it rises and it's got all the little holes in it and I can tell the difference between this one and the other one just because you can see um, the way it rises and Matt was in the kitchen earlier helping me knead that, that he had fun, right? Every day. Yeah, it's always an adventure here. Every day. Count down on the adventures there, Dora. No. Speaking of Dora. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know if any of you saw. I shared this in the family room. Um. So, the other day I'm in the kitchen, you know, making bread or doing whatever it was I was doing. And... Uh, Sophia, she's four. She likes to watch Adora. So 
she had Dora on and, uh, you know, she'll always say words in Spanish. And so one of her words was abajo. And so I said, abajo. And I said, Finny, can you say abajo? And she said, no, mom, I can't say it. I said, come on, you can do it. Say abajo. And she said, abajo. <laughs> No, that's not what I said. I said, abajo. And she's like, I can't say it. But I will never let her live that down. I was like, Sophia, that is not <laughs> what I said. I was laughing so hard. And she just didn't understand why I was laughing. I was like, that, no, that's definitely not what I said, Finny. Um, she's something else, that one. She's just so, you know, like yesterday, she, she's got an iPad and she, her screen was dirty, so she went in the bathroom and washed her iPad with soap and water. So is it ruined now? Yes. Water underneath the screen. That's yeah. kind of like Russian roulette. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I know a lot of people are like, you know, no electronics. And, you know, obviously Matt, he's Mr. Technology and... Um, me, I'm more hands-on, but the kids, they've got iPads and, you know, they watch videos on YouTube and, you know, we try to monitor as best as we can, but, you know, I can tell you from my own experience, the kids have learned a lot and we see the kind of world that we're growing up in. And it's like, if you grow up without any technology, you're going to be in a lot of trouble when you're older. So, um, but yeah, she decided to watch her iPad. Yes. Having them understand that it's a tool. Not a right. It, exactly. A tool. Not a lot. Right. It's definitely a very, uh, I like the stance that, like, I think it was South Korea took in, like, video games. There's a curfew now, like, for all school-age children. Like, on their social media, or? On, on like, social media and on uh, video games. What do you mean? Like, like a, a like, countrywide like country curfew? Wide. What? Like kids that are, are not 18 years of age, they can't play past a certain time. time. How do they know, though? You can lie and say, oh, I'm 21, or, you know. I mean, that's, that's a game you're going to play. <coughs> Honestly, I guess it might be a, more of a virtue if they're really honest and told their age and set up their account. I guess, but that's kind of crazy. I mean, it's, actually, I mean, it's recognizing that. Like, you, you can't control yourself or your yeah, children, like the, that you need to have a curfew uh, on it like that? It's like that a, reissuance, like, for, like, children who want to, maybe it's not respected as a, now it's like, you, well, you don't have a choice because government's regulating it. Yeah, well, they want to regulate everything everywhere, especially yeah. here, you know? Like, these schools, you know, um... I don't really want to talk about it on the show, but, you know, the school shooting that just happened the other day, and, you know, this was a, a private school, and, you know, they obviously have their own private funding and things like that, and supposedly they had really good um, security, but how did this still happen? You know, that's one good thing. I'm so thankful that my kids are home because I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. And I mean, what you take into consideration... Size of the school, I mean, it wasn't like a massive school, but it was a pretty good sized school. And then when the alarms are pulled, the resource, you know, there's probably a staging place depending on the area. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that resources, the resource officer at that point in time, his main focus is probably on <clears> children that are actually here, and he's just waiting for backup for a response unit. But 
you know, and so I made a great, wonderful thing that would have been, you know, $80 billion to other countries and, well, and secure money uh, at federal banks that you can't. Well, that's what I said. We we have all the security um, at banks and um, sporting events, things like that. And we've got money to send to other countries. But I mean, then, how often do you, I mean, you look at like, I mean, you don't hear a lot of people going in, running up into police office, police buildings and shooting people up, right? Of course not. Or into the banks, you know, unless they're bank robbers and there's a motive there, there's something mm-hmm. of value that they want. Yeah, I'm very established that if there was a presence at a school, like a, an official presence, not just the resource officer, but maybe, maybe a, on like a, Security at campus, right? How they have resource <clears throat> officers, you know, something, something, something of that value where you maybe you have two or three officers there that are like a quick response unit, and you're limiting that response time down to zero seconds. I mean, because that's the most precious commodity when you think about it. It's it's children, truly, children, truly. Uh, children for, from a human aspect, you know, it's it continues us being around and generation to generation, and and, and two, it's I mean, it's, it's just child and reserve the right to, to live and you know experiences in life and you think about it and it's not about money but you know most of our taxes go to the school system right so why are we not spending more money on on security like that should be number one i, I think at that point in time it, it should be asked of administrators because they're, they're usually like a large large amount at least in illinois a large amount of uh of costs from an administrative standpoint, you know, those guys where we saw, we would see like a $300,000, $400,000 salary, you know, or like 280. Yeah. yeah. And like somewhere like, you know, the Plano school district where that's. And the population's not, there's not a lot of kids. And I'm not just picking on there. I mean, that's apparent right. everywhere. I mean, I don't, I don't get the purpose of a school administrator, at least from that, that instance. Yeah, it should be posed to those individuals like, hey, you know, like some kind of equal matching, like where the sheriff's office devotes like an additional resource officer to each school or something <coughs> of that line. If you know, if they, you know, pony up some of their salary or something of that, you know, some. some no, kind of the thing instincts. is, like, we can throw money at these, you know, gender identity studies and things like that. Why don't we take that money, like all these extra things that we don't need, and put it towards the funding for securing these schools. No, I mean, at that point in time, I think, I mean, this is a capitalistic society. I think you can make a whole, if you allowed a, a private entity like it, to provide security as a, like a quick response that, you know, it's a quick response. You can still keep the resource officer there, but, you know, have like two, two or three guys that are just there. And that's our whole. I'm purpose. sure you could get a lot of veterans who would volunteer their just, time. You don't have to be veterans. I'm just saying, like, if that's people. if that's the problem, I'm sure you could get veterans who would be more than happy to go in there. Well, it's like that one dad when that other shooting happened the last time, and he wanted to run in there and save. And they're like, "No, you got to stay out yeah. here." Like he was willing to go risk his life to save these children, and then you've got these people who are paid to do this kind of stuff, and they're afraid to do their job. You know, like somebody like a veteran, a war veteran who has been to war, who has seen it, they understand the complications and they understand they're not afraid. They're not you know? afraid. But I mean, society in, in general looks at a lot of those guys like a liability. I mean, PTSD is associated oh, of course. in general. So right. 
it's hard. But you trust them enough to go to war, yeah. but you're not enough to not protect children. Your children. No. Right. That's, exactly. That's, that's the problem. That is the problem. I mean, but there's certain. I mean, there's. I think there's like a school school uh, officer in I want to say Florida somewhere. Where they are, Florida or Texas, one of those uh, states where they hired an individual response unit for like a high school, mm-hmm. and like uh, and he's there every he takes their days off. He's there whenever there's kids present, and you know I think they were in line to bring somebody else on board to kind of you know divvy up the workload. But yeah. well, that's what I'm saying. I think there's so many people who would volunteer to protect you know, like the his children. Sole purpose is to not engage with students day to day that's still mm-hmm. a resource officer his sole engagement is that if a panic button is hit he goes directly to wherever that panic button room was at mm-hmm. like there's no question to ask he doesn't stop call the cops he is like the first line of response he's there to neutralize the threat um song scripture and my thoughts says they're blaming the shooting on christians it's so messed up yeah it truly is and it's sad you know christians are being attacked and we know that the bible says and in times will be persecuted and They'll hate us for loving Jesus, and we see this more and more every day. And um, you know, it's even more reason to pull your kids out. Like <clears throat> pulling guns and having stricter gun controls. I can tell you from living in a state with some of the strictest gun control laws oh, in the country, it does nothing. Because look at Chicago. There have been more deaths in Chicago than there have been um, in the whole Afghanistan Iraq War. You know, I mean, every day somebody's being shot there, but we don't talk about that because it's not part of the agenda. Well, it's like it comes into consideration, like, okay, we're, you, you ena- enable a global background check, like, for everybody. I mean, that proceeds, uh, I mean, gun sales, I don't know, it's, it's like, it varies from state to state, but it, just taking into consideration, right, you get a global background check done. If you've never, like, if you have psychotic tendencies or something along those mm-hmm. lines, and and like or like that one dude that was that did the shooting over in, in Aurora, not in Aurora, the other place. Uh, it was like the parade. He shot up the parade. Oh, that yeah. that crazy. Well, another yeah. one. Like I mean, he had three different visits, and like mm-hmm. two of those was not documented by the by the you know state police. Well, and, and he was deemed not a threat after that point in time, and he would have passed a background check. And, still well, got- and that's what happened with this girl who's claiming to be a guy. Yeah. She was going through mental. They knew that she was mentally unstable, but yet she was still was able to get guns. So even though we have these gun laws in place, unless they're being enforced, what good is creating more laws? Because what they're doing is they're literally taking guns away from you and me, good people. Like I always say, I'm not going out looking for trouble, but should trouble come find me, I have the right to be able to protect myself yeah. and my children. And I will fight dying for my children. I will do whatever I have to do. That's why I learned to shoot in the first place. You know, my guns didn't just leave you know the gun cabinet and go take off and and start shooting people because that's not what happens you know it's so there's a difference like in the bible it talks about killing somebody and then there's murder okay when you go to war and you're fighting you're you're i hate to say it this way but you're killing yeah right when you go shoot up a school you are murdering you have that hate in your heart that intent to harm people there's a difference between protecting and murdering you know and there, these... I, mean, I think it boils down to this, right? <coughs> we, we developed a, an instance where they mess with, and instead of addressing a problem, whatever the problem may be, they sidestep it, and they, right. they, the, the instead of rejecting, they, they promote and preach acceptance. 
And there's a time and place for both, right? There's right. a time to say, okay, yeah, that's all right. It's it's normal. A normal feeling is something that's that that's a normal instance. That's okay. But like being an adult and understanding, like, okay, well, society says this is wrong. It's, you know, science says this is wrong. Religion says this is wrong. All all these factors are saying nay. And then you say, okay, well, it's all right. You know, we don't want you to feel left out because that'll have adverse effects, according to another study, and all this other BS. But it's just telling a child, like, okay, if at some point in time somebody would said, okay, you might be having these feelings now, but you need to kind of, you know, sit down and think this out or do whatever, you know, case may be, whatever they, they kind of advice you want to give them, but give them some guidance and direction. If they still have those same feelings when they're 18, 19, not saying it's any better or worse, but it's more, their, their head is more at a stable location. But where they, you know what's really ironic about all of this, right? So these kids, and they're young kids. Well, this lady, she was a little older, but where are they learning these ideas from? From the schools. And what are they shooting up? Schools. Yeah. What, like, are they retaliating against the schools because of the stuff that they've been feeling in their heads? Like, It's, it's like, never a, a turnoff, right? We, we had this discussion the other day. It's like when you, when you used to, to, go to go to school and we would come home, if you wanted to you know, chat or communicate with somebody, you had to do it over the phone. You can't really do it on the home because, you know, your parents would yell at you. You're running up this phone bill. <laughs> or, you know, at our point in time, if if when it, when the internet first did enter in, like, the late 90s, it's like you couldn't be on the phone and... The, no, like, AOL, the dial-up. Yeah. You picked up the phone so and like you you're, you're or, or you went outside to play and then, like, that was even limited because, like, at least for me, when the streetlights came on, it, it came yeah, over. Yeah, that's right. When it, the streetlights came on, it was time to it go was, in. Boom. It was like, there was no discussion. It was like, hey, man, can you hang out? Nope. It was, it was, it was game over. Hey, I'll see you guys tomorrow. Right. Um, and that was it. I mean, and then there was a downtime. There was just you, your family, or you and yourself, or right. whatever the case may be. Now it's like kids are actively, they're in that, that awkward stage when they're going to school, and they're trying to learn how to communicate and all these different things, and then they're trying to cram learning into that whole ordeal, like, hey, here's just 30,000 things. You need to memorize all these 30,000 things, and then you mm. need to do it in the most confusing ways. None of this really makes sense, and I'm not really going to tell you why any of this plays any kind of purpose in your life. And it's just like a bunch of random things, and there's a lot there's of stuff so much going confusion. on. And, you know, they're navigating, you know, stress and, you know, of, of just people in general. It's sometimes a mean nature at school, you know. Oh, because, yeah. Kids are bullies. Yeah, because if they get a reaction and they like that, you know, like if they, they shove somebody or they do something that's out of character, and they get like a, a response that they're looking for, you know, like a gasp or they're, you know, they're trying to feel all powerful or if they get like a laugh, they're just going to keep repeating it. They're, right. Yeah. Like that's. Well, they say no attention or bad, negative attention is better than no, no attention. attention. Yeah. Right? So like. And they may not be getting that attention at home. But know, like they're just, they're getting whatever the, the, you know, the case may be and they're going through those, those perils. And then, you know, when they get home, it's, it's just, uh. Yeah, it's it's hard. It really is. So, what is that? Okay, we'll fix All it. Right. I'll go out and fix it in a second. Anyways, sorry. Oh. <laughs> One of the kids came in, and I guess the swing outside fell apart, so. That's not a problem. I can only manage. But no, it's it, it's that hard staunch thing. And I mean, like I told the one person, I'm not going to sit here and say that prior to, you know, 1990, whenever, 
uh, you know, the Colorado uh, shooting happened with the, you know those those two those two boys. But I remember when I was going to school and and, and Southern, I mean, and there was people pulling up in their, their trucks and they had like thirty gate, you know, thirty all sixes in the back of their windows and stuff. That was like a real life thing yeah. during my time, and nobody batted an eye. Like the teachers, like, oh, hey, how you doing today? You know, park over here, life. And it's like. And then eventually, somewhere down the line, I guess later on in they life, they took God out of school. You know, wherever that case may be, it's like that became a like it was like a switch. Like it was there one year, and then like the, the you know a couple of years later, it was like nowhere to be found. Well, yeah, I mean, really, they they completely adjusted the whole school system, and um, we just see it progressively getting worse and. You know, people, I, I've been reading just on social media, you know, Facebook and talking about this and everything is, their answer is always like, let's take the tool away. But that's not fixing the problem. Like we need to get to the root of the problem. And that is these children. These children have been misled, misguided, manipulated. You know, they're putting all these things in these children's head at school and they're teaching them they're not even teaching them anymore. They're, they're just planting garbage in their minds. And of course they're confused because deep down inside, I think they know that this is not right. This is not normal. But when you have all these teachers cramming stuff down your head and down your throat and putting things in your head, yeah, it's confusing. And then you've got a lot of parents who are going along with it. And those who don't go along with it, you know, they're being ridiculed. Like, Oh, how dare you? Emphasis of like, of like people put in a huge emphasis on like a title, like oh they they got a doctorate, or they have a master's degree, and that means like you're a subject matter expert at, at whatever point in time you went through you know the educational system on the subject matter content that was fed to you at that point in time. Right. Doctorate, you make contributions to you know that that or or subsequently any any new material that you want to invest your time in, you know, come up with ideas and theories that support context, but. I mean, I know a lot of people that have like doctorates in like in, in computer science, and they are some of the most ignorant individuals to to like towards like technology. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they understand theorem and everything else that's you know confusing to a certain point, or or things that are hypothetical or could be. But as far as like actual logic, like taking logic and or having communication skills, they have none of that. They're just like socially awkward and. And they're providing their real context. And I think the same thing with like a lot of doctors, they, they go to school for so long and either they get bought into like the pharmaceutical thing, the same thing with teachers, you know, they, they either jump on board with the curriculum or they, you know, they let emotions drive a, you know, a certain instance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of boils down to the, just that, that momentum swing. It's especially if somebody uh, has like a, uh, a, a certain perspective. Like on how they want things things should be, like in the classroom. Like right? in the classroom, eventually they get older and they understand how the world works and how they can actually change that stuff. And it's not done through, uh, you know, writing or anything else. It's done by embedding yourself into that process, getting to a point of power where you can make those changes, and then facilitating those changes how you see fit. So instead of looking at like the greater good of everybody, you're looking at the greater good of whatever you thought was the original best idea that you had. Well, I just feel that like these schools, you know, like I saw with our kids, um, you know, we, our school system, our, our area here, they seem to be okay. But 
I well, just, I was just confused. I would always ask the question, like you were bring, they were bring like nine people in for for meeting for an IEP, right? And it's like, okay, you got psychiatrists, you got physical therapists, you got right. a teacher, you got the vice principal, you got this person, that person, and they're all just sitting there like nestling on you. Okay, Mr. Fisher, it's like, all right. So, yeah, I posed the question. I asked them because they said, okay, his schedule is going to look like this. Like, so they go over every all the stuff that he mm-hmm. needs and what they're seeing and where he needs to be and what their goals are. They said it's like a like a benchmark. They see where right. he's at right now, and they were where they want him to be. And they said, like, okay, well, like this, I would look at his regular schedule right now where it was like 90 minutes here, you know, 90, a break, 90 minutes here, 90 minutes here, like lunch, and like 90 minutes here, or whatever the case may be. And they, and then their new one was like, it's like 40 minutes here, and then 15 minutes with this person. And then another person he shifts over to, then he goes back to home room, then does home room for uh, the second block. Uh, and then when he gets ready to go to lunch, he goes, he would go see the. the now, this is a child with ADHD, meaning he can't focus on things. And like, and like, so like midway through, like, so they, they, you got all these different blocks. And I'm like, I'm like trying to get grasp it. And I'm like, at first, I'm just, it's a new experience. So I'm not mm-hmm. really thinking too much over it. I'm like, okay, well. They've done this before, and then you get a little bit, and then you come back, and then you know, like you do the progress report like three or four months later, and they're like, "Oh well, you know, we're not seeing any kind of changes in certain areas where we were hoping to see changes," and so now they're making a tweak to a schedule, mm-hmm. and like, and it's like another move, and then both the psychiatrist is like, "Well, he seems to sometimes get lost, like he doesn't know where he's going." And um, like, I, when he said that, I stopped him. I'm like, okay, well, this this is kind of confusing to me as well. And he's right. like, I'm like, I have a you know, full fledged job. I'm a, a director. You know, I understand the logistics. And I'm like, and my calendar doesn't even look like this. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I have, I, I consider myself a very busy person. I'm like, he's going from place to place. You're telling mm-hmm. me he can't focus, and he can't do all this other stuff. How? I mean, it's hard enough to garner attention for a child as it is if he's right. not interested in the subject. Like if it's mad. And that's got to be confusing too. Like, where am I going next? Like, I should be going here, and now you're changing yeah. everything. And every up. like, there's some kind of similarity whenever he's around in a group, and like they're you know he's around other children, and he's kind of normally going through things, and he's he's doing at least context clues. He's like, okay, well if they're doing their math work, I kind of need to do my math work. He's he's only that assimilation. Right. And now you got him like, okay, well he's he's here now he's leaving, and now there's nobody with him besides you and him and like a specialist, and it's always a like a different specialist like. There was like three of them that he mm-hmm. either work with, and I'm like, this is like a revolving door. It's like mm-hmm. it's 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 you're taking what you're saying was chaos and making it even more chaotic. It's almost like they're doing it on purpose to to mess them up, and then they and had then you even got the new kids left behind <coughs> on top of that. I right. mean, and not saying he needs to be left behind by any means, smart as a whip, but it like whenever he was feeling in that aspect, it, I was like the first thing I asked him, and like nobody had like a good logical question. They were like, oh well, you know, he's. He's going to be guided and tailored. It's like, I don't need him to be guided and tailored. I need him to be fo- be able to focus on one problem. Like, right. And he can't focus <clears throat> when he's constantly being shoved around and he doesn't know what's going on. You know, I mean, he's already having a hard time focusing, but, you know, um, it, it just, I feel like they, they set them up for failure is what yeah. they're doing. You know, like truly, it's not like. I mean, I'm not saying they didn't help him, but I just think, like you said, they just made it more confusing on him. And they're doing that with a lot of these kids. And if you notice, a lot of these kids that are are doing these school shootings, 
they all have some, they were on some kind of medication and they were all, you know, not a good student in in the school system's eyes because they were different. And I feel like they're singling them out, making them feel like that. And they're creating like monsters. So if somebody's doing like a study right now, as far as like the logistics of why school occurrences would happen, this is probably the best time to take like, you know, the control group that was prior to, you know, medication mm-hmm. and all these indoctrinations and schools being shut down, kids fucking their throats and and making good sense of, of what what is actually, you know, what's going on and are these adverse reactions that you're seeing more than likely. I mean, you're nestling that kind of behavior at that point in time and, and ushering these people in and the world's confusing enough as it is. Oh, for sure. Um, when you're trying to, you know... <clears throat> not be uh you know getting in arguments with people all the time and all these different things and yeah well i think that um you know truly being able to homeschool the kids we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff no you know i don't have to worry about somebody judging my kid or you know he needs to be on this or that since caden has been homeschooled he he's flourished so much like he's matured a lot and he's learning a lot more and he's interested like he loves learning there was a point when Caden, he was young, like maybe first or second grade, he came home and he cried and he's like, mom, why am I so stupid? And that broke my heart, you know, like he felt like he was stupid. And I was like, Caden, you are so smart. Like, don't ever let anybody make you feel that way. And that, you know, made me wonder, well, what is happening in his life that's making him think that? Like he could tell that he was different, like he learns differently than most children. And I'm the same way. I've always learned different. Um. But when you homeschool, you get to, you know, focus, like I was talking with Deb last week, you get to focus on, on their, their talents and, and their, whatever they're going to strive in, you can help them build that up, you know, and it helps them with their confidence and, you know, things like that. So you don't have to worry about having these meetings and people telling you, oh, your child is different or needs to do this and that. You don't know what's best for my kid. You know, I know my son better than anybody in this world. And um, <clears throat> truly just homeschooling has been the best thing for us, for, for the kids and for me. And, you know, we're all learning together and we're spending so much time together. And I don't have to worry about, I mean, of course, I can't control everything that happens outside. Like today I went to the museum, you know, and anything can happen anywhere. But I have more control over what my kids are learning, you know, and, and how they're thinking. And they're so happy. Like these kids truly are happy and they'll talk to anybody and, um, and I just can't stress it enough. I try to encourage so many people just to pull your kids out of these schools, teach them at home and, and just really help them flourish. You know, you don't have to have it right, right away, you know, but as you learn together, you're going to really get to experience like how great this really is. And I, I always say it all the time. I think this is what God intended. He wanted us to be here with our kids and teaching them. And, you know, I don't know what's going on in these schools, but we're seeing a whole generation of messed up and <clears throat> we have to stop it. You know, like we talk about the school shooting, how do we stop it? We stop it by starting this. We start taking control over our children again and we build them up. You know, we, we love them and we build them up and we teach them the right things they need to be taught. So, yeah, Tom is on right now. So we're going to go, it's already seven after. So we're going to just go ahead and end it here. Um, thank you all 
for joining us tonight and for those who listen later on. Um, if you ever have any topics you want to talk about or you want to come on the show, feel free to send us an email at the casting lots podcast at gmail.com. We love to have people on the show and just talk about their experiences, either being homeschooled or homeschooling their children, or even just, you know, other topics you want to talk about. You know, if you um, know a lot about music and you want to talk to you know us and our kids about music things like that I'd love to have you on I mean anything you know um there's so many different topics when it comes to homeschooling it's not just like history and math and grammar you know but there's so much um I want to do a show soon about gardening um which will fall into our homeschooling program because we're going to be doing seeds here soon um so again thank you all so much for joining um And I'm going to go ahead and just close us in a quick prayer. So if you would just bow your heads. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so very much for this time tonight um, to just gather and and discuss, you know, homeschooling and and the fun times that we have here with our children, Lord. I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to be here to raise my kids and to teach them, Lord, as you had intended. I thank you for all the many blessings that we have and for, for always putting your hedge of protection around us here, Lord. Um, again, I, I just ask for those that are struggling right now, Lord, um, those that may be on the fence about pulling their kids from these public schools, that you just put it on their hearts to, to pull them and to bring them home and to teach them as we have. We may not have it all figured out, Lord, but we know through you all things are possible. And if you continue guiding us, we'll be on the right path, Lord. Um, I thank you for all those who will listen to this and and, um, all those who are homeschooling their children, Lord. Just be with them and give the parents the patience and the guidance. And um, just let them know that what they're doing is is the right, right thing, Lord. These children need us more than ever. And we see so many children that are struggling, Lord, in, in the schools and just with all the confusion in this world, Lord. So we ask that you just help these parents, <clears throat> just guide them and, and allow them the opportunity to to give their kids the best that they can. I know so many are worried about finances and how they're going to be able to do it, Lord. But again, through you and through your son, Jesus, all things truly are possible, Lord. Um, so... Just please help those who are struggling and who are sick, Lord, heal them um, and be with all of us as we continue this journey. And in your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, Conley's on right now. Um, So if you want to go listen to him at the Conley show, he's here on Podbean. Um, And then later we've got Bards. And I'm not sure if Duncan's going to be on tonight. Um, heal club needs prayers so just keep heal club uh in your prayers lord you know what this person is needing so just be with them lord um for whatever healing they need just wrap your loving arms around him um and yeah uh, again check out bards conley um we've got cole cole's in here tonight um cole i think your shows are on tuesday um and it was at 5 or 6 p.m. Central Time. And we've got Knickknack Show. Um, Kitty, I haven't seen Kitty in a while, but she's got a show. Uh, Jack, he's got a show on, too. We need more than a miracle. I hear you. We all are needing a lot of prayers. 
right now. Um, if you want to send me an email, um, and I can send it up to, to the Bards family, and we can all pray for you as well, send me an email at the Casting Lots podcast at gmail.com, and we will definitely keep you in your prayers, in our prayers. Um, 6 p.m. Okay, so from 6 to 8, that's when Cole's show is on, and that's Seeking Jesus. Um, and again, we've got the Bards FM um, and the Duncan Show, Conley, Knickknacks. There's just so many podcasts popping up. So be sure to go check those out. And um, we will see some of you on Saturday for Casting Lots. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about that show, but you know it's always fun when Matt's involved. So tune in on Saturday at 10 p.m. Central Time for the Casting Lots podcast. Uh, Board, Hill Club. Okay. We'll definitely keep you on our prayers, Hill Club. All right. Well, you all have a great night, and thanks again for tuning in. Love you all. Good night. Since a formula bottle, decent, sitized, everything we knew about our problems. And now we're all roaming the land, saying, Now did this big lie start? It's time to put our faith in Him, cause it's gone too far. Oh, I believe He died for me. And for everyone Anything can be achieved When you count on God Who's gonna take the lead By putting the life on Washes every sin by the minute The sheep are blind All because their mind is a prison And now they're all roaming the land Saying how did this big lie start It's time they put their faith in him Cause it's gone too far Oh I believe he died for me and for everyone Anything can be achieved When you count on God Who's gonna take the lead By putting the life on
by putting their life on the line. Who's gonna show the children what is wrong and what is right? He's gonna take the lead. He's gonna take the lead. 